Hello, everybody. I'm Warren Smith in Charlotte, North Carolina. And I'm Natasha Smith in Colorado Springs. And we'd like to welcome you to the Ministry Watch podcast. Every week, Warren and I will be bringing you news about Christian ministries, as well as the latest in charity and philanthropy, all designed to help us become better stewards of the resources God has given us. On today's program, we'll discuss the bankruptcy of the Boy Scouts of America. Also on today's program, a fraud conviction of ministry leaders in New York. All of that and a whole lot more on today's edition of the Ministry Watch podcast. We begin today with news that Southern Baptists have disfellowshipped a Texas church for a pastor who is a registered sex offender. Warren, what are the details about that? Well, the Southern Baptist Convention's executive committee announced this week that it has disfellowshipped a church in the West Texas city of Midland. The executive committee chairman, his name is Mike Stone, said that the committee uh, had uh, disciplined Ranchland Heights Baptist Church in Midland. It's a small church with only about 100 members. He said that that church is no longer to be considered in friendly cooperation with the Southern Baptist Convention. The church's pastor, a man named Philip Rutledge, was convicted in 2003 on aggravated sexual assault of a child and uh, has reportedly been pastor, though, at the church since 2016. And it seems pretty basic that you wouldn't want a registered sex offender as a pastor. So why did it take four years for this to happen? Well, Southern Baptists believe in the autonomy of the local church. In fact, it's a core idea of Baptist polity, polity being just a fancy word to describe how the church governs itself. And in fact, the church is the first one to be recommended for removal by the SBC's newly reconfigured Credentials Committee. Now, this committee's duties changed in June of 2019 when messengers, that's what they call delegates, to the Southern Baptist Convention's annual meeting approved a change in the SBC's bylaws, which revised the function of this credentials committee. Now, you can tell by everything that I've just said, Natasha, that this has been a long process to get to the point where they actually could disfellowship this church. The change now allows this credentials committee to receive reports of a church's, quote, suspected departure from Southern Baptist polity, doctrine, or practice, and to make recommendations to the SBC Executive Committee regarding the possible disfellowship of the churches. So that's where we are now. The Credentials Committee Chairman, Stacey Bramlett, confirmed on Tuesday at a press conference that the pastor's sexual offender status was indeed the reason that uh, that church was recommended for removal from fellowship with the SBC, and the SBC's Executive Committee affirmed the decision. Now, because the SBC, as I said, doesn't have control over local churches, churches, it can't just fire the pastor directly. Only the local church can do that, but it can remove a church from the SBC roles. In the past, this has only happened when the SBC has discovered that the church in question was affirming LGBTQ lifestyles or in some cases racial discrimination. I see. So do you think that the recent news about sex assault in the Southern Baptist Convention played any role in this situation? Well, I think almost certainly it did. Uh, the changes to the convention's bylaws that I just spent a few minutes talking about and changes to the credentials committee came about after media reports in 2019 of widespread sexual abuse in Southern Baptist churches. That sexual abuse 
controversy was stirred up, in fact, by news reports in Texas newspapers. Uh, the pastor of Ranchland Heights Baptist Church was, in fact, one of those named in a series by the Houston Chronicle. So next up, Warren, is a complicated fraud involving the Christian Post, Olivet University, Newsweek Magazine, and a lot of evangelical leaders. Can you help sort that out? Well, I'll do my best. The headline is pretty simple. Last Friday, former executives from Olivet University and the Christian Post pleaded guilty to a $35 million money laundering and fraud scheme. The pleading guilty were Etienne Uzak, who was a co-owner of IBT Media. Now, that organization had purchased Newsweek magazine back in 2013 when Newsweek had fallen on hard times. The other person who pled guilty is William Anderson of Christian Media Corporation, the owner of the Christian Post, which claims to be the world's top Christian news site. Now, these fraud charges came after a lengthy investigation by the Manhattan District Attorney's Office, which in November of 2018 charged four individuals and four organizations, all associated with a man named David Yang. Both Christian Media Corporation and Olivet University were charged with five felony charges. So will these guilty pleas have any impact on those other charges? Well, they probably will, though it's a little too early to say for sure. In a statement, Manhattan District Attorney Cyrus Vance Jr. said that the crimes were a part of what he called a massive fraud scheme through which a group of sophisticated criminals illegally moved tens of millions through our Manhattan marketplace by brazenly overstating the financial health of those companies. What I just shared with you is a direct quote from Cy Vance's statement. All of that means that there could, in fact, be more investigations and more criminal trials. And from what I understand, there's some high-profile evangelical leaders that might get tarnished by this news as well. Yeah, as I mentioned earlier, the Christian Post claims to be the world's largest Christian website. It's hard to verify whether that's true, but there's no doubt that it's a big site, and a lot of evangelical leaders have had some association with it over the years, including two of Donald Trump's evangelical advisors, Johnny Moore and Samuel Rodriguez. Samuel Rodriguez, some people may remember, actually prayed at President Trump's inaugural. Also on the Christian Post advisory board are Penny Nance of Concerned Women for America, and Richard Land of Southern Evangelical Seminary, both of whom are also vocal Donald Trump supporters. It might be worth pointing out that the Christian Post's longtime editor, Nap Nasworth, recently resigned in protest from that editorship because of recent changes in the editorial stance of the Christian Post. Uh, Those changes amounted to a shift in coverage from religion to a much greater emphasis in politics. Now, Warren, we've got to take a little break, but when we return, there's news about the long-anticipated bankruptcy of one of the largest youth organizations in the world, the Boy Scouts of America. I'm Natasha Smith in Colorado Springs. And I'm Warren Smith in Charlotte, North Carolina. And we'll be back after this short break. Hello, everyone. I'm Brittany with Save the Storks. Save the Storks is a pro-life ministry passionate about inspiring the world to reimagine the pro-life movement by serving and valuing every life. Save the Storks partners with pregnancy centers all across the U.S. to own and operate a stork bus to offer free ultrasounds and pregnancy tests to women in unplanned pregnancies. Stork buses park near college campuses, abortion clinics, shopping centers, and serve rural communities that lack medical care. 
Save the Storks is pleased to be the sponsor of the Ministry Watch podcast. For more information about our life-saving organization and how we partner with pregnancy resource centers around the country, go to savethestorks.com. That's savethestorks.com. Welcome back. I'm Natasha Smith, along with my co-host, Warren Smith, and you've been listening to the Ministry Watch Weekly Podcast. Warren, up next in this program is a major story about the Boy Scouts of America. Can you tell us about that story? Well, yeah, the Boy Scouts of America filed for bankruptcy protection earlier this week. And as you said before the break, Natasha, it has been a long-anticipated move. Long-anticipated because there's been a long series of legal and financial troubles for the Boy Scouts. The Chapter 11 filing took place in Delaware Bankruptcy Court, by the way. And it appears that sexual abuse cases are a big part of the reason for this bankruptcy. Yeah, you're right about that, too. Um, Though I should add, it's not the only reason. But first, let's do talk about those sexual abuse cases. They began in earnest in 2010 when the Boy Scouts lost a $20 million child sexual abuse case. And that case revealed the existence of what has come to be known as the perversion file. And that's a, a list of people who have been barred from being scout leaders. It was a list compiled by the Boy Scouts themselves in an attempt to uh, protect children from these sexual predators. However, critics of the Boy Scouts say that the list was not made available uh, to local councils around the country, and that failure resulted in the sexual abuse of yet more boys by some of the same men. Today, the BSA faces dozens of lawsuits, and many more are likely on the way because it's possible that thousands of boys were sexually abused while in the care of the Boy Scouts. These cases could result in hundreds of millions of dollars in damages against the BSA. Man, that is just so tragic. And the Boy Scout leaders are saying that the bankruptcy is nothing to actually worry about, like for the scouts and their leaders, as if like the scouts can do business as usual. Yeah, they are saying that, but that brings me to another reason for the problems with the Boy Scout, and that is a crisis in confidence in the leadership of the organization. Uh, In the mind and in the eyes of many, they've lost credibility uh, with longtime scouts and scouters, which is what they call their adult leaders, scouters. In fact, Tom Kosnoff, an attorney who has tried thousands of child abuse cases, uh, including many against the Boy Scouts and the Catholic Church, told USA Today, they're going into bankruptcy not because they don't have the money. They're going into bankruptcy to hide a Mount Everest of dirty secrets. And that attorney may be right about the secrets, but it's not clear that he's right about the amount of money the Boy Scouts have. Will will it be enough? Well, uh, you're right. That's not at all clear. The Boy Scouts uh, have about $1.5 billion in assets, much of it real estate, including Philmont Scout Ranch, a huge uh, reservation in New Mexico. Local scout councils also have dozens of camps scattered all around the country. NPR estimated that the value of these camps could exceed $3 billion. However, the local councils are not owned by the National Boy Scouts, so the National Boy 
Scouts won't have those assets to deal with. And many of the national assets, including Philmont, as we've already reported here at Ministry Watch, are encumbered by pretty hefty mortgages. And to add to scouting's woes, the organization lost more than $150 million over the last five years. And on January 1st of this year, more than 400,000 Mormon boys and leaders left the organization in mass. A dues increase took place in October, and the dues went up from $33 to $60. That's nearly doubling. Uh, That massive jump was interpreted by many as a sign of real financial desperation by the BSA. Well, thank you so much for going over all those details. I think I understand the basics of the story now, but can you help us understand why you wanted to report on this? Because from my understanding, Boy Scouts are not and never really have been a Christian organization. Well, you're right about that. But the Boy Scouts uh, of America was once one of the great institutions of American civil society. It was one of uh, what Alexis de Tocqueville in his uh, uh, great book, Democracy in America, called one of the mediating institutions that teach service, volunteerism, duty, leadership, and citizenship. Uh, my friend Alvin Townley has written two books about scouting, and he said scouting was second only to the military in its ability to bring together Uh, people from so many different backgrounds over such a long period of time. So scouting has had a unique role in American culture. Uh, It's really a part of the fabric of American life. And it also has a close relationship to the churches in America, right? Yeah, it really has had. All scout units, more than 100,000 of them, have what are called chartered organizations. In fact, part of the genius of the scouting movement is that these chartered organizations are the owners and operators of the individual scout troops and cut packs, not just by providing meeting space, but by approving the unit's leadership as well. Uh, In fact, more than 70% of these chartered organizations are churches. As recently as 2013, United Methodist, Methodist, Roman Catholic, Presbyterian, Lutheran, and Southern Baptist churches combined for nearly 30,000 units serving more than a million scouts. So are there any Christian alternatives to scouting? Well, perhaps the only bit of good news in this bad news story is just that. When the Boy Scouts started accepting openly gay scouts and leaders, a group of Christian men got together and formed an organization called Trail Life USA. That was back in 2013. Now, that group has flourished just as the scouts have gone downhill, and it now has troops in all 50 states, more than 30,000 members nationwide. Well, that's great news. Thanks for sharing that. And you can read more about Boy Scouts as well as this Trail Life USA by going out to ministrywatch.com and using the search engine at the top of the page. We've got to take another break, but when we come back, a story about a tattoo parlor in Colorado that helps transform the outside of men and women who have been transformed on the inside. You've been listening to Ministry Watch Podcast. I'm Natasha Smith, along with co-host and Ministry Watch President Warren Smith, and we'll have more for you after this short break. Hello, everyone. I'm Brittany with Save the Storks. Save the Storks is a pro-life ministry passionate about inspiring the world to reimagine the pro-life movement by serving and valuing every life. Save the Storks partners with pregnancy centers all across the U.S. to own and operate a stork bus to offer free ultrasounds and pregnancy tests to women in unplanned pregnancies. Stork buses park near college campuses, abortion clinics, shopping centers, and serve rural communities that lack medical care. 
Save the Storks is pleased to be the sponsor of the Ministry Watch podcast. For more information about our life-saving organization and how we partner with pregnancy resource centers around the country, go to savethestorks.com. That's savethestorks.com. Welcome back. I'm Natasha Smith, along with my co-host, Warren Smith. And you've been listening to the Ministry Watch podcast, where we unpack stories of Christian ministries in the news, along with other items of interest to help you be a more effective financial steward. Warren, there was a story that came out this week that may seem pretty technical and candidly a little boring uh, to our listeners, but you say that it's important to donors of Christian ministries, and that's a proposed rule change by the government. Can you explain what's going on there? Well, I'll try, and to make both my point that it's important and your point that it's technical and maybe a little bit boring, let me give you the headline first before I unpack it. That headline is the Financial Accounting Standards Board, known as FASB, issued a proposed accounting standards update, an ASU, aimed at improving transparency around how nonprofits present and disclose contributed non-financial assets known as Gifts in Kind, or G-I-K. So what does that mean, especially when it comes to the Christian donors? Yeah, exactly. What does that mean? Well, in fact, it's pretty significant. Uh, these new regulations, if they go into effect, will have a dramatic impact on how some nonprofits account for gifts, especially those that are engaged in relief work. Now, that includes organizations such as Samaritan's Purse, World Relief, World Vision, and a lot of the largest Christian ministries in the country, in fact. These organizations receive a lot of contributions that are called gifts in kind. That might include food, clothing, and pharmaceuticals. The new rules are going to force both the donors, and those are often large pharmaceutical companies or large retailers uh, that have excess or maybe damaged inventory, to uh, change the way they account for their donations. And it could also change the way we think of some of these Christian ministries. Some ministries look a whole lot larger than they are because they're claiming a large amount of these donated goods as income, and their fundraising and other costs look relatively small in comparison. So it makes you think that these organizations are doing really great, that they've got a lot of income, and they're not spending a lot of their money on accounting or uh, management or fundraising activities. But these new rules might change that and could cause these transactions to come closer to reality. Okay, so what should our listeners do? Well, first of all, they should pay even more attention than ever uh, to the ministries that they give money to, especially those impulse gifts that sometimes uh, happen during times of crisis and emergency. You see often these uh, heart-wrenching emotional appeals for money during crisis and emergency. You need to be very, very careful about those and make sure that you're giving to an organization that you know about and has financial integrity. In other words, if you're not sure what a ministry is doing with your money, you shouldn't give money to that ministry. And if you want to know, you can go to our database and look up that ministry or any ministry that you're concerned about. That is great advice. And it's relevant also to the next story. And that is about a team of chaplains from the Billy Graham Rapid Response Team. 
Yeah, you know, in times of crisis and emergency, Christians are often the first ones to step forward, and Billy Graham's uh, rapid response team is one of those. They deployed this week to Spartanburg, South Carolina, uh, to provide emotional and spiritual care for victims of a number of severe storms, tornadoes, flooding uh, that impacted, the, in fact, the majority of the East Coast last week. The Weather Channel reported, in fact, that more than 300,000 people lost their power, and there were at least five deaths as a result of the storms in four states. In fact, 20 tornadoes were spawned by those storms. Thank you for sharing that story. And it's really encouraging to hear about Christians running towards disaster rather than away from it. And another great story on the website this week that I mentioned just before the break was the story of Redemption, Inc., Yeah, every Tuesday we try to post a story about a ministry doing great work in the world. And this week, our Colorado Springs-based writer Steve Raby sent us a story of a tattoo parlor that takes tattoos away. Redemption Inc. alters or covers up tattoos that promote racial hatred, gang violence, and sexual trafficking. Uh, Brenda and David Brown are the sort of the brainchilds behind this ministry. They were high school sweethearts, but fast forward 30 years and their husband and wife, parents of two biological and four adopted kids, and foster parents to more than a dozen others. In fact, one client who had a swastika uh, transfer formed into a lion by the ministry, uh, said that I spent 20 years of my life hating people. Now I want to spend 20 years trying to change the world. Wow, that's a remarkable story. Yeah, it is. And you can read Steve Raby's complete story. By the way, there's a whole lot more there. You can find a link uh, also to an ABC News story that has had millions of page views. All of that's at our website, which again is ministrywatch.com. Yes, Warren, and we're getting to the end of our time today. But before we go, I wanted you to remind us and our listeners about a couple of new features on the Ministry Watch website. Uh, You first mentioned this last week, but can you remind us again? Yeah, I'd be glad to. Regular readers know that each week I write a weekly review, usually every Friday, which is a digest of the news of the week that we think is worth mentioning, but which maybe doesn't quite rise to the level of a full-blown story. We publish that column on Fridays, and we've now added a couple of new features to that column. First, we include a list of all the ministries that we've updated in our own database. And secondly, you can find a list of changes to the membership of the Evangelical Council for Financial Accountability. We think that ECFA is doing really important work in the ministry ecosystem in this country and that donors should know who joins and who leaves the ECFA. And we'll be bringing that information to you as part of the weekly review each and every week. That sounds like great new services, Warren. And thanks for the reminder. Is there anything else that you want to add before we go? Well, yeah, there is one more thing. If you've gotten this far into our podcast, that means you're either a glutton for punishment or you like what you hear. Uh, If the latter is true, we'd be grateful if you'd rate our podcast on your podcast app. A rating is a free and easy way for you to support this program because the more ratings we have, the better the program performs with search engines. So the simple math here is that it doesn't cost you a dime and it really helps us a lot. Yes. And if you want to know more about the stories we've discussed today, or if you want to just dig around to Ministry Watch archives and see the hundreds of stories that we have there, go to ministrywatch.com. 
Yeah, and don't forget to check out the Ministry Watch database that I mentioned earlier, about 500 of the largest Christian ministries in America. That database has financial information, Ministry Watch's own financial efficiency rating, and lots of other information to help you become a more effective steward of the resources God has entrusted to you. That brings us to the close of today's program. Our producer is Rich Rosel and Steve Gandy. The writers of today's program include Warren Smith, Sean Hendricks, Ann Steich, and Steve Raby. I'm Natasha Smith in Colorado Springs. And I'm Warren Smith at the home of Ministry Watch in Charlotte, North Carolina. And you've been listening to Ministry Watch Podcast. Until next week, may God bless you.